So like Paul says, I'm carrying on our series of Back to Basics. Um, that's carrying on till the end of the month. And um, I want to speak to you this morning about intimacy. All the introverts in the room go, oh, it's time to go. You know, I don't remember how long ago it was, maybe a month or so ago, maybe it was longer than that, but Paul came home from work and he was not happy with me. (laughs) Have you left a book on my desk? For those of you not from Stoke, Stoke, a book. Whichever you prefer, I'll say either. But had I left one on his desk? No. Are you sure? No. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) The book or book that was left on his desk was entitled this. I'd like you more if you were more like me. (laughs) Seriously, it's by John Ortberg. Have you left a book on my desk? No. Are you sure you've not left this book on my desk that is entitled this? I'd like you more if you were more like me. I would, I would, do you think, do you think I think that little of you that I'd like you more if you were more like me? Actually, you probably know me quite well, but there you go. No, I didn't leave that book on your desk. Who left it there? Because I got in loads of trouble about it. Who was it? This has got nothing to do with me. Preach, by the way. Just sit down now, we're finished on that bit. You know, intimacy, we think intimacy is changing the other person so we can get closer to them. Intimacy is about changing me so I can connect more with those around me. You started reading the book as well, didn't you? Very good book. But so often with intimacy, we want other people to change. So they are more like us, so they behave more like us, so we get on with them more, so we like them more, so they're not as offensive and difficult towards us, because it makes our life easier. You know, the definition of intimacy, and it's going to go up on the screen, and I'm sure you can find many other variants of this, is the sharing of deepest feelings, of feeling understood, A common belief and viewpoint. A shared experience or team effort. And this fits in line with the five different types of intimacy. So if you look up some stuff on intimacy, these are the five most common types of intimacy that it says. There is emotional intimacy. There is intellectual intimacy where we connect with people on an intellectual level. There is experiential intimacy where you become close with somebody because you experience something with them or have experienced the same thing as them. So it brings an intimacy and a closeness for you. The spiritual intimacy, where we connect with people and feel more intimate with them because we believe the same things. And there's physical intimacy. So there's these five different types of intimacy that we have. And you know, this morning I want to talk about intimacy with God. But I really hope and pray that as I do, it will help you with your personal intimacy with those around you and those you relate and connect with. You know, and I've got to be honest with you, those who know me well know I've struggled with this. When you're an introvert and you marry an extrovert, 
And on your wedding day, he's like, and you're like, God, now is the time to rapture me. (laughs) It's hard. I love you, darling, really. But it's hard sometimes. It's hard to connect. I found it hard over the years to connect relationally. I found it hard over the years to connect with Paul. I find it difficult, difficult sometimes. I'm, I'm socially awkward if you've not noticed. So I struggle with this. So if you struggle with intimacy this morning, I want to encourage you. Keep persevering. Keep going. Keep trying And for those of you who don't struggle with it, be gentle and kind to those who do. You know, the first thing I think we need to address before anything else is the fear of intimacy. You know, often people who have a fear of intimacy, it isn't because they don't have a desire to be close with other people or to connect with other people. It's often because they've been hurt or disappointed in life. And that has a stronger hold on them than the desire to connect with people. You know, it's like, I don't know about you when you were growing up, but when you used to sit in the back seat of the car and you used to sit there and you'd go round corners. I'm just going to ask Paul and Reed just come and help me. So when I was growing up, if you go, and Reed, you come here. All right, do what you want. <laughs> no, you come here. That's it. When I was growing up, we used to go a drive on a Sunday afternoon. I do apologise if you can't see me. I'm only short. I'm sure you can see the light on Paul's head. <laughs> but, but when I was growing up, we used to go for a drive. And as we went for a drive, we would take my nan with us. My grandpa had passed away and we'd take my nan out for a drive and she would sit in the middle. Now, intimacy is like this. Intimacy is like going around the corner in the back of a car when there's too many people in the back of a very small car. Yes? So... Sorry, which nan? Nana Bowie. The one who... The one who used to you with a stick. <laughs> so... The one who dingy when she walked. No, no, not the one who trumped when she walked. Anyway, <laughs> too much information about my grandparents, who were all wonderful. Thanks for that, Paul, for sharing that with the world. Okay, so let's go back not to... Just anymore. stop it now, you ruin it. <laughs> right, so, basically, this is what intimacy is like. Sometimes you get close to people. As you go round a bend in the car. Sometimes, just stop now. Sometimes it's unintentional. Like when my nan was in the car, she'd just got no ability to stop the slide. We're sliding. She's coming. So you sort of sit there like this, trying to hold your space. Anyone ever done this? Sorry, this is really unattractive. I do apologise. Been watching Call the Midwife this week. Anyway, so you try and hold your space. I know I'm going to get squished at some point and we're going round a bend so I'm holding my space. So sometimes we get damaged by people unintentionally, people squashing us, people just getting a bit too close and we're not really ready for it or comfortable for it, like what my nan used to do. Then there's the other thing. Now all of you who are younger siblings will understand this. When your joyous sibling who is bigger than you, when you go round the corner, it goes like this. Just push against the door, me with your foot. That's it. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think I've done my neck in again. <laughs> Thank you, guys. But basically, you get squished and squashed 
by someone who is intentionally coming into your space and you seriously aren't ready for it. You're not ready for it. You weren't ready for someone to break into your world and it leaves you damaged. It leaves you in a place where you think, I don't don't know whether I actually want to sit in the back seat of the car with anyone ever again. Now, this has changed for me of recent years because when my dad or Paul's mum comes in the car, I very nicely say, you sit in the front and I sit between my children. They've discovered a new thing. It's called a double squash. If anyone has never experienced any of these things, let us know. You can have a little ride in the back of my car. My children would love to introduce you to it because they think it's hysterical. But what I'm trying to say to you is we fear these things. We're ready for them. We brace ourselves for these relationships because we think, I don't know whether I want you to get that close to me. I don't know whether I want to let you in, so I'm going to brace myself because of the negative experiences I've had in the past. And we have this fear of intimacy. So how do we actually know that we struggle? I've got a few things for you to think about. And be honest. Because sometimes I don't think we even realise where we're at. So how do I know I struggle with intimacy? An An inability to express what you need and want from those around you in your life. Poor communication or avoidance of serious topics in your relationships. Trouble trusting your partner with important matters or decisions. An unwillingness to share your dreams or goals. Purposefully sabotaging relationships once you begin to get close to the other person. Avoiding physical contact with people. You know, if you know someone who's like this, be kind to them. Be gentle with them, but keep taking steps towards them because it's quite possible that they actually want to be intimate. They actually want to grow in relationship, but negative experiences, people who have squashed them, intentionally or not, have damaged them over time. And they need that positive experience to help them to believe again that intimacy is a good thing. And you know, and if you feel like that, be brave. Take steps. It's only when you have the positive experiences that the negative ones begin to look like, well, that doesn't actually always happen. Sometimes somebody actually sits in the middle who protects me from the person on the other side. So how do we grow in intimacy then? And you can find this stuff in any good self-help books but I just think it's really good to talk about so one of the things that we need to do is accept uncertainty it may go wrong your relationship may go wrong whatever sort of relationship it is but it may go wrong it may hurt it may be difficult but we have to accept uncertainty be kind to yourself You know, it's about learning to be comfortable with who you are first. Then you know your own worth and your own value. That you know how God thinks of you and how important you are to him. And if we can get that right, if we can get that kindness to ourselves right, that allowing God into our lives more right, then all of a sudden we realise that rejection isn't crushing. 
that we realize boundaries are a helpful thing. And then it suddenly helps us to accept the uncertainty because we've been kinder to ourselves. Another thing, listen to yourself. You know, fear of intimacy is often a really deep-rooted thing because of something that's happened in your life or something that you've seen happen to other people. And sometimes we can be our own worst inner critic and pick at ourselves. Try and catch yourself with those negative views and those negative opinions because when you do, suddenly you're beginning to see a bigger picture. Suddenly you're not being dictated to by the negative experience or the negative view. Suddenly you're stepping out from it and allowing something else in. Listen to yourself. The good and the bad of yourself so you can see the areas where you want to change and grow. The next thing, look at your goals. Take time to review what you want. Sometimes we just go along life's highway and think, well, this is just my lot. This is just how I'm going to have to be because this is what my life has been, so I'm just going to have to carry on doing this and nothing's ever going to change. Well, no. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? How do you want to relate? When you can establish those things, then you can begin to consider, well, actually, I don't need to carry on down this route. I can begin to put things in place in my life so I can see change. And you know, give yourself time. Intimacy doesn't happen overnight. Positive experiences help with it. But you have to step out in faith to have the positive experiences, so it's a bit difficult. But give yourself time. Take your time. But take those steps. You know, and these things are all very well and good, and I hope they're helpful for you. But I believe that there's something else that can actually be life-transforming when we come to God and learn about intimacy from him. You know, God is always chasing after us. God wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants to know you through and through and he wants you to know him through and through. And you know, for some people, sometimes intimacy can be a dirty word. But God wants to renew your mind. God wants to redeem your past and allow you to know that you can grow close to somebody that can be a healthy and strong relationship and that can change your future for the good and not for the bad. God wants to set you free from the chains that have bound you in the past and allow you to walk in relationship with him that is safe and that is good and that is wholesome. You know, and we we may say, God doesn't want to be intimate with me. You may be sitting there thinking that in your head this morning. God doesn't want to be intimate with me. Yeah, he does. And you may, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Or you may say, well, I'm already in a relationship with God. I know God. I walk with him. I get him. There's more. There is more for you. Psalm 73, 28. For me, it is good to be near God. God wants to walk closely with you. 
God wants to hold your hand through the circumstances and difficulties of life. God wants you to let him into your deepest, darkest mess and be there and say, I love you even so. I love you all the same. I love you even when you push me away. I love me when you don't even want to know. I love you when you find it difficult. I love you when I make you feel awkward because it's like, well, it's a little bit too close for me. That's a little bit difficult for me. God loves you and wants intimate relationship with you. So I want to look at three different places in the Bible where God draws near. And what we can learn from this about the intimacy that he wants to have with us. Because I believe that if we walk in intimacy with God, we learn who he is, is our intimate friend and father. Then it will help us in every other relationship that we have. Yes? So the first one is this. Trust him to love you. Genesis 3, 8 to 9. Now we join the account in Genesis. God's created the world. It's very nice. God's created Adam and Adam and Eve. It's very good. Adam and Eve get tricked by the snake and eat some fruit from a tree that God told them not to. They suddenly realise. Oh, they, they suddenly realise lots of things that they didn't before. And it's at this point where they've taken fig trees and made clothes out of them and sewed them on themselves and are hiding that God turns up. Genesis 3, 8 to 9. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you and God still makes that call today where are you where are you where are you where are you God is walking in the garden of your life and he is calling to you where are you you know they had forfeited their right to life they had forfeited their, their right to liberty and a future. And yet the father made a way to reach out to them and to connect. He bent from what he'd said. This is what we do. This is how we behave the end. They'd done something wrong and stepped away from that. And instead of saying, no, this is still what we do. Instead of that, he bent towards them you know you may have had experience of church where it says you know you live a certain way you behave a certain way you've sinned in your past you've done these terrible things that are awful and if anybody's sitting next to you knew they wouldn't want to sit next to you and where you judged and looked at and put aside and yet I see a God in the very beginning who bent towards those who had fallen short towards those who'd forfeited their life towards those who had sinned and he walked in the garden and he made himself available to them despite their sin despite their shame despite their hiding away God bent towards them the question is this 
Are we willing to put our nakedness before God and allow him to clothe us with his righteousness and with his forgiveness and with his healing and with the new life that he's calling us to? When you hang your head in shame, God says, there is a way through Jesus, my son. And we see then in Genesis that God meets with them, that God kills an animal and he covers them with animal skin, just like Jesus was sent. There was a sacrifice made in Genesis. But are we willing to come before him, take off the things we've tried to cover ourselves with, we've tried to patch it up, we've tried to cover the mess of our lives, Are we willing to take those things off and allow him to cover us with Jesus? It's like morning breath, isn't it? Not the nicest of things in the world. You know, do we trust that the person lying next to us is still going to love us when we lean over and breathe, Good morning. Are they going to judge us? Should we go and clean our teeth really quickly first? But we have to trust that there comes a level of intimacy where we can connect with. And God wants you to know, no matter how bad your morning breath is, no matter what's going on in your life, he still wants to embrace you first thing in the morning and say, have a smint. There you go. Let me refresh you. Let me restore you. Let me renew you. All that stuff that comes out of you at times that isn't good and isn't pleasant. I've got something better and something more for you. Henry Newman says this. If fear is the great enemy of intimacy, love is its true friend. So often it is the fear of what other people think of us. It is the fear of being rejected. It is the fear of what is going to happen that stops us drawing close in relationship with God and with those around us. And yet God showed his love for us when he sent Jesus to die on a cross and he wants you to know that he loves you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be close with you. He wants to bring healing and hope and covering to your life. But you know, from that point of view then, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to prevent the enemy getting back in again and again. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to pull us off from where we're going, from that intimate walk with God. We have to stop the enemy sitting at the table of our lives by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. If we build our lives on his love, then I believe that we're unshakable. Trust him to love you. Despite your morning breath, despite what you've done, he is calling to you. Where are you? Because he's right here, wanting to embrace you, wanting to forgive you and wanting to restore you. The second thing is, rely on him to journey with you. John 1, 14 says this. So the word, which is Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. 
and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You know, God had done so many things. You read through the Old Testament, so many acts of love towards us, so many moments where he's trying to restore that intimacy that was lost in the Garden of Eden that we've read about. You know, he, he, he put laws in place and ways that people could try and connect and try and, try and, try and be good and try and be holy. And it sort of worked, but not really. But his grand and master plan was to send his son, Jesus, as the ultimate sacrifice for you and me so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could be washed white as snow and so that we could draw near to him again. God's plan for intimacy started at the beginning because what he lost in the garden, he couldn't do without. He wants to be close to you. And that may seem wrong or strange to you, but he wants to be close to you. He loves you. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to be close to people. It's not always easy to recognise where Jesus is in the midst of it. You know, we went on holiday to Turkey quite a few years ago. The girls were seven and eight. And whilst we were there, we decided to go into the local version of Blackpool, which was called Altincum. Anyone ever been there? No, don't blame you. But we went there shopping. It was lovely. We went on the public bus, which was like a mini bus type thing that had no respect for the number at the front that said this is how many people should sit on it. It was an interesting experience. Interesting experience for five-year-old Olivia who's about this height when she's standing and everybody is standing around her. And you go on there as parents and you try and protect your child and try and look at them and yet more and more people keep getting on the bus and there are people sitting down and there are people standing up and you don't have to worry like you do on the buses in the UK that when they stop suddenly, then you're going to fall over. There is nowhere to go. You are literally, this is how you are. And you know, it can be quite a scary experience and uncomfortable. Has anyone ever been on something like that when they've been abroad? It, it, you can feel unsafe. And yet, as, as the girl's mum, my plan was like, how can I protect you from being squashed? How can I protect you from people's bottoms in the wrong place because of the height that you are? Where can I put you so that you are safe? And sometimes the world can make us feel like that. The world can make us feel like we're being squashed and things are difficult. And yet Jesus is there. The word became flesh and where everything is squashing you and pushing down on you and putting you in difficult positions, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. When things are difficult, Jesus is on the bus with you. Jesus never leaves us. And do we see him there though? Or do we just see everything that's going on around us? Do we see him working in our lives or do we choose to miss it? Sometimes we can be that busy that we don't realise that the word is there with us. Maybe we need to ask him, what are you trying to teach me in this situation, on this difficult day? And how can I glorify you in this and through this, even though I feel like it's a bit too much for me? And suddenly it becomes about relationship with God rather than what's going on around us.
Suddenly it becomes about Jesus reaching out to us and wanting to draw near to us. So trust him to love you. Rely on him to journey with you. You're not alone. You've not been left on a bus full of people. But there are people there who care for you. And you know, we look back on that now and we laugh about it. It is a funny thing that happened on one of our holidays. But it could equally have been not very pleasant for the girls. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is allow him access all areas. I want to read to you from Matthew 27, but before I do, I just want to put it into context. Jesus had died on the cross. And once he died, there were a few things that happened, and this is one of them. Matthew 27, 51a. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Now you may think, okay, there'd been an earthquake. It was a bit bizarre. You know, some of you may have more of an understanding of it and think, well, this is something that God did to signify something. If we can have the picture of the temple up, Harry. So this is what the temple roughly looked like. And basically what happened was in certain parts, only the priests were allowed in it. Certain parts, certain people were allowed. So all of this area was the priest area only. So normal people couldn't go there, but the priests could. And there were different things that were allocated for different aspects of it. This is where um, they brought the sacrifices. But as you go in, can you see the bit that says sanctuary? And then the bit above that says holy of holies, yes? And there's a line in between. That line is the veil. So that's where the veil would have sat. And to understand the significance of this tiny verse, we need to understand a few things. So just bear with me. So this veil was torn. The veil symbolised the heavens and the earth and death. And it was about the thickness of a man's hand. That's thick. It was the thickness of a man's hand. That's nothing that someone can easily rip. You know, we put veils up in our lives too. We put things up so people can't come close. We put things up and we think, well, these look nice. This is nice aspects of who I am. But actually, they're just there so people don't get in. So before the veil, where it says sanctuary. Now, this is a place where the priests could go. There were three things in there. There was the lampstand. There was the table of showbread. And there was the incense. Now, we need to understand the significance of these. Bear with me. So the lampstand signified light and knowledge and wisdom. The table of showbread, which fresh bread was put on once a week, symbolised provision. And the incense symbolised prayer. So the priests went into this area and looked after it, put the bread in there, made sure the incense was sorted, made sure the candles were lit. Yes? But where the curtain is that blocks off the Holy of Holies, that area, someone only went in there once a year. And beyond the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God dwelt. And the Jews had all this religious 
symbolism about it, which I'm not going to go into the full detail of, but it is absolutely fascinating. We need to understand when the veil was torn, it didn't change the lampstand or the table of showbread or the incense. That had been accessible to the priests. But suddenly, when the veil was torn, where the presence of God has been held, it was no longer held in that place. So there was access via the priests willingly, but there was access for people to knowledge, to wisdom and to light, which was the lampstand. There was access for people, obviously through the priests, but to provision, which was the table of showbread. There was, there was availability for the people that they could pray, albeit through the priests, they could do that. But suddenly when the presence of God came through, it was no longer bound by all the, the Jewish things that they had in place, the presence of God came out and with it brought all of those things that were there. So the provision, the prayers, the light, the knowledge, the wisdom, God brought all of those things out with him. You know, sometimes our lives can be all about, I'm just going to you know, I've got all this knowledge about God and all this wisdom and I know best. Sometimes it can be about, I just want to do the right thing and provide for other people and help other people and I'm going to do everything in my life to help others. Sometimes it can be all about, I'm going to pray to God, that's my thing. But when God tore the veil, he turned those things into something else because his presence flowed in and through them when he, bra- when he broke that veil. It's no longer just about knowledge and practical provision and opportunity. But when God's presence comes into it, there is a power like you have never experienced before when you become intimate with him. There is a new dynamic to everything that you do. There is a new reach, there is a new freedom and there is a new strength because that veil has been torn and it has changed the impact of everything that has ever been done. Spurgeon says this, faith is the road but communion with Jesus is the well from which the pilgrim drinks. You know we can live a life where we do all of these different things, where we try and provide for other people and do good things and help other people and do all this social action kind of stuff but if the presence of God doesn't flow through it then the power in it is minimal. We can pray all of these prayers and believe and say, this is my thing, I pray. But if the presence of God doesn't flow through it, where's the power? We can have all this knowledge and all this wisdom. Yet if the presence of God doesn't flow through it, how is it life transforming? At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. God wants to break into your life. He wants to tear away the things that you have put up to maybe hide him from others or to hide him from yourself so his presence can flow in and through you. He wants to bring freedom and strength to you in a way that you've never known before. He wants to bring power into your life like you've never known before. This morning, God wants you to know that you can trust him.
that he loves you, that you can rely on him, that he will journey with you no matter where you go or where you've been, and that there is access to him through Jesus. I'm going to pray in a minute, but before I do, I just want to read a scripture. Maybe the band want to join me. Philippians 3.10 from the Amplified says this. For my determined purpose is that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognising and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. I'm going to read it again. I missed a little bit out in the middle though. For my determined purpose is that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognising and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. This morning, that's my prayer. This morning, that's my prayer for my relationship with God. But that's my prayer for my relationship with Paul and the girls, with my friends, with my neighbours. This morning, I want to encourage you to have a determined purpose that you may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. And I believe that as you do, that it will help you with all your other relationships. Let's pray together. Do you want to stand? God, may we know you more nearly. God, I thank you that this morning you're saying, where are you? God, this morning we want to reply to you. I'm here. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to walk with us. I thank you that you tore that veil in the temple to let us know that your presence was with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. And God, I pray this morning, I pray for a revelation for each and every one, that we would recognise your love, that we would experience your presence, but that as we do, it would enable us to connect with others closely in a more healthy and wholesome way. God, I thank you that you are with us and that you are for us. God, this morning, may our determined purpose be to be more deeply and intimately acquainted with you. Holy Spirit, come and move in this place that we may build our lives on and around you. That we would recognise the goodness that you bring to us. And God, that we would take a step closer to you today. So God, this morning, if you're willing to, just raise your hand in response. God, as you say, where are you? This morning, we want to raise our hands and say, here I am. Here I am with all my mess, with all my baggage. Here I am, God. I trust you to journey with me from where I am to where you're calling me to be. Amen.